I believe that what we do as women in the privacy of our own minds is the single greatest determinant of our lives. I'm Emma Title, and you are listening to the Women Today podcast, where we are unpacking and investigating the new female psychology. I am a psychotherapist, coach, and teacher who is passionate about women's internal and external freedoms. You are in the right place if you want to hear in-depth stories about women's lives. On this show, we dig deep into the minds and hearts of women to understand what it really takes to heal, to grow, and to experience psychological freedom so that we can create lives of authenticity, fulfillment, and contribution. This is a place to receive nourishment, inspiration, and guidance as we continue to show up for the complexity and nuance of our lives as women. I'm so glad that you're here, and let's get started with today's episode. Hello and welcome back, everybody. I am really excited to be sharing today's interview guest with you, Mindy K. Counts. She is an integrative medical practitioner and five-element acupuncturist. She's the co-founder of the Inner Ocean Center for Healing, a keynote speaker, retreat leader, and teacher. Mindy is the author of Everyday Chinese Medicine and a contributing author to the Trauma Toolkit and Singing Our Hearts Song. She is the founder of the international nonprofit Inner Ocean Empowerment Project, which provides holistic healthcare and education through volunteer service missions to underserved populations around the world and in the U.S. She was featured in Dr. Oz's The Good Life magazine for her work in Indian slum communities, Burmese refugee clinics, and earthquake-ravaged areas of Nepal. Mindy is a graduate of Naropa University's Contemplative Psychology Program and holds a master's degree in classical acupuncture from the Institute of Taoist Education and Acupuncture. She lives here in Colorado with her family and rescued pit bulls in the foothills. And Mindy is really a huge inspiration to me. She is someone who is a testament to our capacity as women to overcome and heal massive amounts of trauma or adverse experiences and to find ways of creating healthy, beautiful, service-oriented, fulfilling lives that are meaningful to us. So I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I enjoyed the conversation. And I highly encourage you to listen all the way through because there are gems and treasures from one minute to the next as Mindy shares her wisdom and unpacks her story with us here on the podcast. And without further ado, here's Mindy. One of the things that I am so inspired by about you and impacted by is how much you are committed to service, whether that's here in the local community or with your work abroad um, in more disenfranchised communities. And I'm wondering if you can share with us a little bit about your early life and some of the things that got you interested in the healing arts and kind of set you off on your path. Sure. Do we have like three days? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> we need many, many days. <laughs> I know. Um, it's funny to share my story, right? Because um, on the one hand, it's something I hold uh, as so precious and so um, private. And on the other hand, over the last 10 to 15 years, I've learned so much about how important it is to share story 
and how it actually creates so much more connection and it helps, you know, other people go, oh my gosh, actually, you know, I, I've had a similar experience and, and it reduces that shame and that disconnect that we all feel sometimes when we've gone through something, like we are separate and we are suffering and, and no one really gets it. And so um, I've learned so much. I used to really hold my story so, um, and protect it so much. And now it's like, okay, actually, it's really important for, for me to share some parts of it, you know, and in order to be of service, in order to create some more of that connection and so, um, and reduce the isolation that happens with suffering. And um, yeah, so I'm originally from the South. I'm from Southern Virginia. And um, yeah, I had a really challenging childhood. You know, my, my father actually was in a, a near fatal accident when I was two. And that left him um, with some pretty serious brain damage. And so my sort of earliest memories of my dad were of him always being sick and always being, you know, in some kind of doctor's appointment or something like that. And um, my mom ended up divorcing him. My mom was not equipped to take care of someone who had a lot of um, the problems that my dad was having. And so she divorced him uh, and remarried pretty much right away. And it kind of, it set, I have a brother as well. He's a little bit older than me. And it kind of set us up for what ended up being a really, really hard um, several years where, you know, there was just a lot of addiction in my family. There was a lot of abuse. There was a lot of sexual abuse and physical abuse of my brother and I. Um, and my dad did end up passing away when I was nine after just a really hard, um, hard struggle. And, um, yeah. So, and, and honestly, when my dad passed away, it was like everything really escalated with my mom and her new husband. And, um, my brother and I were like, you know, bonded for life over a lot of our struggles together. Um, you know, going through abuse together and we were like best friends for many years. And, after, I think I was about 11 when we finally, my brother and I decided to uh, tell our grandmother what had been happening at our house. And it was the first time we had disclosed any of that information. And um, our stepfather ended up going to prison for a period of time, which I think was really important. Um, and my mom sort of spiraled out and she, she ended up sinking really deep into the world of heroin and cocaine and really hard drugs. And so that was my, that was my childhood was, um, you know, growing up, having to take care of my mom and coming home from middle school and pulling heroin needles out of her arms and checking to see that she was still alive and, um, and calling my aunt when I wasn't sure. I had an aunt who was just a little bit older than me, way younger than my mom, who was sort of like a big sister who I would call and just say, I don't know what's going on with my mom, you know, something bad has happened. And so, um, yeah, it was a really, really, it was a hard, hard upbringing. And I think I, um, certainly there are people who have it way worse. And, um, but it was a survival mode. My childhood was me being in survival mode the, the whole time and, and my brother as well. And so when I was um, 12, actually, I had, I thought I was done. I thought, you know, I didn't want to be alive anymore. I couldn't see actually anything beyond my mom and her life. 
I couldn't see that I could ever get out from under her or live a life that was anything bigger <laughs> or different. And so um, when I was 12, I actually, I tried to um, uh, kill myself, which is really crazy to think about now because I see 12 year olds in my private practice. And I think, you know, I can see myself in them and just cannot for the life of me imagine hearing any of them think those kinds of thoughts, you know, but, um, but I did. And I wrote like a goodbye letter and, um, and tried to kill myself. And I, I actually didn't kill myself, obviously, but I, I did wind up in the ICU and I, I woke up four days later um, you know, my liver had shut down, my, my kidneys had shut down and my brother actually found me. I had done it. I had come home from school and taken uh, all the pills that I could find in my house, which having a mom who's an addict, there's plenty of pills available. And so, um, but the amazing thing about that is that, you know, I did, I did have a near death experience and I, I did wake up with, uh, memories of this crazy journey that I was on. And, and I woke up, I remember waking up in the ICU and I had, you know, tubes in my nose and down my throat and catheter and, and it was the middle of the night. And I saw my mom on the couch in this hospital room. And for the first time, I, I looked at her and I felt like I could see her, her sadness. I felt like I could see her smallness and and for the first time, I felt differentiated. <laughs> you know, I felt like that is a separate person on a separate journey. And yes, our lives are entwined in this way, but but she is not the sum of my parts. You know, she is not the end all be all. And so, I did end up going back to sleep, and then waking up some hours later, um, and my mom was, you know, hovering over me, and you know, they knew I had woken up and they, you know, she's saying, did you take them for a buzz? Like, you just have no idea. You have no clue. But who wants to think that a 12 year old child, you know, would try to take their own life? Um, So that's, you know, how she had to orient around it. But that was a, a, ended up being a pivotal part of my life. You know, when I came out of that and um, came out of the hospital I was, uh, it was like I entered my sort of witchy phase where all of a sudden I felt so close to my dad who had passed away at that point. And I could have conversations with my dad. I could feel him and could feel his love and support. Not, I had never felt like that before, even when he was alive because he was so sick. And, um, you know, I felt this sense of connection to this planet, to the plants around me, to the trees, to the rhythms of nature, like I had never felt before. And I also started writing. I I was writing a ton. I was writing in these journals and I I have them. I would fill like a journal a month, basically. Wow. (laughs) And just getting it all out, getting the stories, getting the questions, getting the ideas um, out on paper. And so, um, it's sort of, that was a moment where uh, I, that differentiation allowed me to really uh, take a look and examine my own life and examine, you know, what is it I, I came here to do? And from that point on, I mean, I, I just, I hustled. I got 
a job as soon as I turned 14. I started saving money. I, I skipped a whole grade in high school. I graduated when I was 16 with a year of college under my belt. I moved out of the house when I was 16 um, and into a little apartment downtown Richmond and um, got a job, started going to school. And it was like, I, I was just moving through, you know? And um, so, yeah. Wow. <laughs> that was, Thank that's you. the gist of it. But <laughs> I feel so impacted, Mindy, hearing you share your story. And thank you for sharing, for being willing to share such a journey and such a private aspect of of who you are with us. Mm. And wow, I mean, I'm just, I've heard parts of your story, but I'm actually hearing things differently right now. And Mm. so struck by the initiation that you had as a 12-year-old and and that turning point of like being able to see some possibility beyond what the primary adult in your environment was showing you. That's incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a lot to go through as, <laughs> as a young person. I mean, mm-hmm. like those are stories that we could often hear and the outcome would be very different, right? Mm-hmm. And instead you have created this unbelievably powerful life where you're influencing and helping and healing so many people. And I'm curious about like once you got out of the house and started making your own money and taking things into your own hands, like what were the things that helped you to start addressing the trauma you'd been through and, and your own healing? Yeah. Um, it, it was Definitely multifold. You know, there were lots of steps along the way. I think, um, you know, a big part for me, I I grew up without basically an attachment figure. You know, and so I was sort of this untethered kid, and um, didn't have that sense of security that most people grow up with and feeling like, you know, oh, well, if I, I can make mistakes because there's always someone who's got my back. And so, you know, I did not grow up with that. And, and I think that, you know, a huge part of my sort of, you know, 16 to 25 development was focused on, you know, okay, well, how can I find that attachment figure um, inside myself? You know, how can I become my own attachment figure or, um, you know, get it in small doses in other ways. And so for me, um, you know, like I said, when I had my near-death experience, I, it felt like it opened up that witchy part of my brain yeah. um, that allowed me to really uh, get out from seeing the minutia of daily life and really connect with the earth underneath me and connect with the plants and to uh, realize that, you know, there's more happening in our world than what we can see. And so... Mm-hmm a huge part of my healing was, um, you know, when I first moved to Colorado, actually I lived in Gold Hill. I lived in Gold Hill for seven years and, and being up there on the land where it's the same day in and day out experience. It's just the seasons, you know, the, the land is so powerful and the, the elements and the plants that come back every single year and I would literally go and sit on that land every day, sometimes in the same places I had my little secret spots. And there was something so magical about and so healing about sitting in those same places, 
seeing the same landscape and feeling that sense of belonging grow inside myself. Um, belonging not in a special magical way like I always thought it would be, but in like a core kind of way of like, it's okay that I'm here. You know, it's okay that I, I'm here and I matter, not in some big special way, but in an ordinary kind of human way. Mm. So um, that was huge for me. That was a really big deal. And um, feeling that, you know, sure, I might not have a parent who's got my back, but I have the earth, you know, I have this planet that's got my back. I have these plants, I have these trees, and these rocks. I have these seasons that I know they're coming. It's predictable. It's rhythmic. And to me, that started to trump, you know, the sort of loss of the attachment figure, you know, in my childhood. And um, yeah, that was a huge part. I would say another part was um, having my dog. (laughs) You know, he's also like partly my attachment figure. He has since passed away. But, you know, I had him from uh, 16 to 29. Wow. You know, so he was a huge part of me just really regulating my nervous system every day. You know, it didn't matter what I was going through or what story I was telling myself. He needed to wake up and eat and pee and poop and go for a walk and get pets and then, you know, repeat (laughs) at the end of the day. And so there was something so um, ordinary about and and healing in that ordinariness of taking care of an animal. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would say those two things were probably the biggest for me in the beginning. Thank you for sharing those. I'm thinking about the women who are listening who maybe have really lived through some very serious trauma themselves. And you know, I think there can be so many tools that work for different people, but what you're describing are two things that are quite accessible and don't necessarily cost money. Well, taking care of an animal does does cost money, but but connecting with the earth in the way that you found a capacity to do and leaning into that support from nature is not necessarily the first thing that people might think of. They might think of therapy or I don't know what else, like a support group or something like that, but but that you really found these very grounding ways to feel okay and to feel consistency. And I love what you said about mattering, feeling that you mattered. What an ordinary thing that probably a lot of people take for granted to feel that they mattered. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then actually so many people have experienced early life where they don't feel that they matter and needing to recover from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really a core thing. It's a core thing and it, it's taken me you know, a long time to, when you don't have it, you don't know that you don't have it. (laughs) If you have it and then it's taken away, you know that you're missing something. And so for me, I grew up my whole life thinking something's wrong with me, but I don't know what it is. You know, I'm different from other people, but I don't know what it is. And so, you know, really a big part of, you know, my journey has been in healing, like being able to name you know, exactly what is missing. And, and then really, those were the core things, you know, that I matter, and that I belong, that I'm important. Um, and it doesn't, I don't have to have a parent who's able to tell me that, you know, to make that true. And so, um, of course, it would have made life a lot easier <laughs> to just have somebody telling you that your whole life, you know, but, um, but yeah, that just wasn't my journey. So yeah. 
Yeah. You know, I feel like um, someone asked me the other day, you know, if you could be an expert in anything. And I said, I'm an expert in belonging. <laughs> I'm an expert <laughs> in learning to belong for people who really don't know, who don't do that, who don't do that well, don't, don't feel that easily. Um, and so because I have worked so hard to find that inside myself. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Mm. Wow. On your path of these, I'm sure there's been so many different layers and stages of your healing. How have you known when you've had some kind of psychological or spiritual breakthrough? Like what have been the indicators to you that, oh, I, I'm healing or I'm progressing? Not that it's a linear thing, but I'm getting to a different stage on my journey. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say when I catch myself breathing, without having to tell myself to breathe. I'm like, Ooh, that's good. That means good things are happening. I'm actually breathing. You know, for me, when I'm breathing in my whole body, it's like a sign that I'm, I'm in my parasympathetic, um, you know, state, which uh, I don't think I even touched until I was at least in my mid twenties, you know? Wow. Wow. Um, I think that's a huge part. And I would say also, um, for me, it's a felt sense, you know, when I've gotten to that next level in my healing, it's like, it's a felt sense. It's not something that I can point to on the outside. It's ways that I notice myself, um, thinking differently mostly. And also one of my greatest challenges of course is people pleasing, you know, because I, you know, for me as a kid, if I, if I displeased, that meant, um, abuse, you know, and so abuse to a kid is a, is a life or death threat. And so even now I catch myself, you know, the, the feeling is like, I'm going to die if I disappoint somebody, you know? And so, um, when I catch myself actually (laughs) being willing to, uh, displease someone or do something that would be disappointing for someone, which happens, it's normal. Um, you know, and, and it doesn't, wreck me for three days, I'm doing good. You know, I'm doing good. It's, um, it seems small, you know, to be able to do that. But if my nervous system is telling me like, you're going to die if you disappoint this person or you say no, or you have a personal boundary, um, you know, that, that can offend someone and, and offending someone is like an alarm state for, you know, my particular nervous system. And so, yeah, those are, um, big markers for me. That's such a powerful recognition. And I, while I have a different biography than you, I can very much relate to the, the terror of upsetting someone. Mm-hmm. And yeah, to, like, to be in a stage of growth and development where you can say no or do the thing that you know someone wishes you wouldn't do and not have mm-hmm. to think about it for the next two weeks and be <laughs> up at night panicking, you know, that is such an indicator of health and healing. Mm-hmm. It is. And it is so hard. You know, it doesn't mean it comes easily now. It's more like I'll do it. And I'm again, like you said, I'm not beating myself up for doing it for two weeks. <laughs> so that's a great sign. Yeah. Um, and yeah, especially when taking care of ourselves means that we disappoint someone else. It's a really hard thing to sit with. But um, that's part of, you know, my journey and the journey of a lot of women. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. What role have other women played 
in your life? And particularly, let's say, since that pivotal moment when you were 12 and in the years since with your healing journey, like where have women come into play? Mm-hmm. Yeah, women have had an interesting role in my life. I will say, you know, when I was young, you know, probably maybe eight to 14, I uh, experienced a lot of bullying. And, and actually, that was a lot of also what was happening right before I decided that I was done here and tried to take my own life. Um, it is that there was no area in my life where there was um, reprieve, you know? And so I had a story that, you know, girls were just mean and, um, and they were out to get me and they were untrustworthy. And so I didn't actually have a lot of close girlfriends until I was older and um, started to repair some of that and see that uh, the insecurity in bullying, it didn't make sense to me, of course, when I was a little kid. And someone would say like, oh, they're just jealous of you. That didn't mean anything to me as a kid. Jealous of what, (laughs) you know? Um, But, you know, now it's like I have, you know, my sort of core group of a few uh, really important women in my life who... Um, yeah, I would give anything for, you know, they are people who are inspiring to me, people who are able to really um, go deep with me. You know, I'm not someone who, I don't have a, a lot of superficial friends, superficial meaning, you know, superficial relationships. Um, I, I have a few really core deep ones, you know, that we can really sort of rip the bandaid off and dive deep into the wounds and, and also have fun together and be silly. So that I found is really important to me. And um, yeah, I've got some really lovely women in my life now. Um, I will also say, you know, I had uh, a grandmother when I was growing up who I didn't realize how important to me she was until she passed away. And you know, as the stories of my younger years have unfolded through family members and whatnot and friends of the family, I didn't really see how much of a role she played in my life as she did because she, um, part of, you know, the challenge was that my family, my mom and my stepdad had moved us away from my grandmother. And I think partly because she was such a powerful woman. She was a woman who really um, stood her ground and had really clear boundaries. And especially after my, my dad died, this is my dad's mother, she um, really wanted to make sure that my brother and I were taken care of. And so she was feisty. Uh, she was, you know, a vodka and Diet Coke lady with a Doral Menthol <laughs> 100s. <laughs> and, uh, and she meant what she said, you know. And um, I was, you know, relatively close with her, uh, until she died. And, and honestly, similar to my dad, I feel kind of closer to her now. You know, she's definitely very much a part of my psyche and very much a part of, um, I think, the strength that I do have in, in my system of getting through a lot of, you know, what I've been through. So, yeah, so she's definitely played a pivotal role and I miss her and I, I wish I could know her now, you know, on some level. And she could know me now <laughs> and, uh, and know that, you know, I made it, you know, so. Yeah. I feel really touched and just imagining how incredibly proud of you she would be. 
Oh, thank you. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, you've published a book, you've created this incredible healing center, you're leading people abroad to help some of the most impoverished communities. You've created a beautiful partnership and community for yourself. And I'm just feeling like how, what a testament and a triumph that is, Mm. not only for you, but for your lineage. Mm. Thanks, Emma. (laughs) Yeah, the lineage is definitely something to, it's something I think about often, you know, and, and, you know, one of my sort of big healing moments was actually looking at my lineage really clearly and, and seeing some of the patterns of um, addiction, of uh, abuse and trauma and suicide and, and being able to see it out on paper. There, there was some kind of thing inside me that shifted where it was like, it's not all my fault you know, that this is actually, I'm like the product of this very real intergenerational trauma and these uh, systemic nervous system dysfunction patterns that have been just keep getting passed down, you know. And every time I face something in myself and, and uh, every time I'm working on my own stuff, I, and it's hard, it's not always very, it's not always easy. Even now, you know, things still come up, come out of my deep and my psyche. And it's like, oh yeah, I, I need to turn and look at that. You know, I, I remember, and it actually brings me a lot of comfort that it's not about just me healing myself. You know, it's about me sort of uh, drawing a line in the sand in my lineage and saying, you know, no more. Um, when I go to therapy, I go to therapy for all my ancestors, you know, they all come with me on some level. And so, um, it feels so much bigger than, you know, who I am and, and Mindy, it feels way bigger than just Mindy. So, Mm. yeah. We're, because you mentioned this, I'm curious, I think it's, you know, somebody from the outside who looked you up online, for example, could be like, oh my God, she has everything, you know, like this incredible business and on the Dr. Oz show and published and, you know, all (laughs) these things. And Mm -hmm. so I'm wondering if you'd be willing to share with our listeners one place or a few places where you still feel stuck in your psychology as a woman, like kind of where that next growth place is for you. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, that has been an interesting part of my journey, exactly what you just said. And, and also really sad because, you know, I was invited to give a talk to a graduating senior class at a high school. And a couple of the girls came up to me after and they were basically like, yeah, like I'm never going to get what you got, but like how can I get, get as close to possible as what you got? And, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, are you kidding me? Like you have your whole world, your whole life ahead of you. You have so much opportunity. You have no idea. Like it just breaks my heart that, um, you know, women in particular, and I'm guilty of it too in my journey, think that we can't, that someone has it all and that we can't, we don't have access to that for X, Y, and Z reasons, you know? Um, And so... Yeah, and the stories, the projections that, oh, she's must, she must be perfect. She must have, I had someone tell me the other day that, uh, you know, she was like, well, how did you start your nonprofit? Did someone 
you know, did someone give you the 50 grand to start? And I would like just burst out laughing because it was like, no, I just, you know, started raising money. I, I started with putting $400 into an account for the nonprofit and then someone matched it. And then I had 800 and then I decided to buy the one-way ticket to India. And then while I was there, I, I fundraised and I took pictures and told people what I was doing is inching along. It's not like, um, there was some big gift, you know, handed to me by the universe that was like, you know, boom, here you go. Not to say I don't have my privileges. Um, but I definitely think, you know, in addition to the, the people pleasing that we talked about earlier, which is something that I'm working with, you know, all the time, um, is, you know, working with the, the negative self-talk and the body shaming. It's like, it's like a virus, yes. you know, I think that lives inside most all women um, and men too, of course. But um, yeah, it's something that is a daily thing for me. And, I, and I, I can only imagine how intense it was years ago. I definitely think even now it's, it's still something I face every day. Um, my quasi joke about it is like, if we could just bottle up all the energy that, that we women spend critiquing ourselves, specifically our bodies, so much healing and change in the world could happen with that energy. Amen. Oh my gosh. Yes, (laughs) I agree. Yeah. It's an insane amount of energy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. And if we could, you know, carve that out of our psyche in some way and just be exactly who we are and be comfortable with who we are right now in this moment. And, and I do get those glimpses, you know, but it's like this virus that comes back and, and I do have to turn and face it and, you know, Hey, where did you come from? And, you know, um, trying to understand its nuances and all the different ways that it, it does hold me back. Um, and, you know, for me, I think a big part of my journey is really filling out that security that I lost, you know, and continuing to, uh, when those wounds come out, you know, or I get triggered by something and then I go back into that deep insecure pattern, you know, I do have a lot of resources now to, um, to do a lot of that work myself and to face it, you know, fairly head on. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you for being honest about that. And I, I, there's a couple of women, Alyssa Marin and Christiane Pelmas, they're local here and they, I haven't taken it, but a friend of mine was telling me they have a course on body image. Mm. And one of the concepts my friend shared with me was about the idea of making ourselves inhospitable Mm. to that patriarchal messaging about (laughs) how our bodies should be as opposed to changing our bodies. Mm-hmm. So I just thought of that when you were talking about the virus, because it literally, it feels like, like there's this terrible virus that we are very susceptible to as women. <laughs> and I was like, I need to know more about that. How do we make ourselves inhospitable mm-hmm. to the messaging, the body messaging? I, I don't know. I'm with you yeah. in, in the uncertainty around that, but I love these questions that you ask yourself or that you, how you turn toward it. That's really courageous. Mm. Yeah, it's hard work, but it's important work for sure. Mm-hmm. On the lines of body and resources and care, I'm curious to know more about your book and what the book offers. 
because mm-hmm. it feels related. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So the book that just came out, it's, um, it's really a self-empowerment book of tools, you know, that it started off with, you know, I've been in private practice since 2012 now, and I would draw up these sort of elaborate, you know, homework and feedback plans for clients, you know, if they were coming in with, um, you know, anxiety, uh, depression, um, you know, body image kind of stuff, uh, you know, digestive issues, inflammatory patterns, you name it. I started to see all these themes and I was rewriting the same homework again and again and again for each client. And I thought, you know, I should just collect all of this because um, one, it's really relevant. And when you start to see a lot of the same patterns, it's like, okay, there's something bigger, something collective going on here. And it felt really important and really necessary to share uh, some of the successes with treatments. And the thing about treatment in the Western mind, we think, oh, well, I need to go and do the thing in order to get better. You know, I need to go to therapy. I need to go get acupuncture. They do the thing to me and that's how I get better. But, and those are all really important things. And I think, you know, equally important is what we do when we leave those sessions. You know, what kinds of thoughts do we think? How do we feel in ourselves? The kinds of foods that we choose to eat, the kinds of people we choose to keep in our lives how we keep our house, the partners that we choose, um, the careers we spend our lives in. Those things are equally as important, you know, as it is to create a dream team and, and get support from the outside. So this book was really, I wrote it so that all the things that you could be doing aside from seeing the practitioners um, is in there. And, and also, you know, back to connecting with the earth and what's been so important to me, um, you know, Chinese medicine is rooted in, in the earth and the rhythms and the cycles of the seasons. And the more I think we can sync up with that, the healthier we really are. You know, if in winter, for instance, we, you know, drop into that sort of introverted aspect of ourselves and, and we are less social and, you know, more solo and uh, sitting in pools of water, warm water, and, <laughs> you know, and then in summer we're, you know, more social, more active and around more people and um, scheduling more adventures and more activity, you know, kind of syncing our lives up a little bit with the energies of the seasons. And of course it gets really, um, you know, specific too. There are, you know, foods to eat and practices to do, and there, it's all really earth centered and, um, and also very ordinary. In many ways, it's like, you know, don't eat strawberries in the dead of winter in Colorado. Don't eat raw cold salads in the dead of winter. You know, eat warm cooked foods, um, you know, roots, root veggies and things like that. And, um, and in the summer, save your salads for the summer. So there's something quite simple about the, the book, but also it's, it's a guide. You know, the first two parts of the book are, are really a guide for everyday living. Um, and the book is called Everyday Chinese Medicine. And then the third part of the book is a, is a reference book for, oh, I had something come up, like, you know, I've got this weird headache, you know? So what is the sort of holistic view of this headache? What kind of headache is it? You know, and I go take the reader through a series of questions to really suss out, you know, what's the pattern behind the headache and try to always get to the root, you know? That's the thing about Chinese medicine and holistic medicine in general is 
uh, we hear symptoms. We want to know what the symptoms are, but but we don't necessarily go after and chase them. You know, we're always looking underneath. What's the root cause of the symptom? You know, take the Tylenol if you have to. Sometimes we have to just get through the day, um, but also be curious about the symptom. You know, if you're getting headaches, where are the headaches showing up? You know, are they on the left side, the right side? Are they in the back of your head, the front of your head? All those things tell us um, more information. And so the book is really a guide for that. So you can do some of your own self-exploration and learn about your constitution, learn about the elements and the seasons and yeah, so <laughs> I love listening to you. I feel I just feel your your healer, your mama. Your it's, it almost feels like a melodic transmission. Um, <laughs> how how you live and breathe and abide by these practices, and then how you're sharing them. And I know the book is for everyone, but of course, I'm I'm always thinking about women um, because mm-hmm. of my work, and I'm just thinking about how empowering it has been for me in my life and the women that I work with to take matters into our own hands when it comes to, again, like you're saying, just the ordinary nature of daily life and symptoms and whether that's a mental health symptom or physical health symptom, spiritual health symptom, that that we feel like we have tools within our own reach, in our own means. It doesn't mean we don't reach out for external support, but that we have things that we can feel empowered by. In this book, it sounds exactly that, you know, just like ordinary, simple ways to make a big difference in our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and dispelling some of the myths. There's, there is a huge section in there on women's health. Obviously, that's a huge part of my private practice. Yeah. And dispelling some of those myths that we learned about our cycle, for instance, and that PMS is, you know, normal. And it's like, no, 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 actually, you know, PMS is not normal. It's common, you know, let's drop into what are actually the symptoms that you're experiencing that is your version of, you know, PMS. And um, yeah, so mm -hmm, there's a lot of that kind of stuff in the book and, and ways to support ourselves. There's a lot of recipes. There's a lot of my sort of personal favorite um, herbal medicines or herbal medicine formulas, ways that you can make different teas or tinctures at home. And so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm, amazing. <laughs> Tell us about, you mentioned you how you started a nonprofit and had very humble beginnings. Tell us about what inspired it's called inner ocean empowerment. Yes. Mm-hmm. And tell us about what you guys do, what inspired it and what that is for you as, as a woman, as a citizen, what role that plays for you in your life and your own sort of fulfillment and purpose? Yeah. So um, the nonprofit is called Inner Ocean Empowerment Project. And it really, it did have the most humble beginnings because it came out of me and my lifelong desire to be of service. And not always knowing how, you know, finding little ways. My whole life, I've always found little ways to volunteer or to give back my time um, in different ways. And, um, you know, I, of course, was someone who wanted to know what was happening around the world. So I was very aware of some of the um, global crises that were happening. And um, I started my private practice. And, of course, it's such an act of service to, you know, be with individuals who are suffering, um, 
each week. And, and there was this part of me that wanted to take some of this really powerful work of holistic healing, of acupuncture, of herbal medicine, of connecting with the earth, and, and take it into communities that um, were suffering in a different ways, you know, and um, some could say bigger ways, but I would just say different, you know, um, the kinds of suffering we have in the West are, you know, more, a lot of psychological suffering, whereas there's some real physical suffering happening in a lot of other places around the world. And I started to learn about uh, sex trafficking in particular. And I, as you know, I had my dog Orion for many years and um, he was actually kind of wrapping up his time with us and was sort of, you know, uh, starting to go down a little bit. He had gotten cancer and he was still such a bright light and spirit and he was still so excitable and energetic, but he was definitely crossing over soon. And um, I'd always kind of held in my mind that when he crosses over, you know, I'm going to have a little bit of freedom that I haven't had since I was a teenager. And, uh, so he did end up passing away and I was about a year into private practice. And I thought, you know, I I feel like I just need to do it. I feel like I just need to go and, and witness really what is happening in these communities. And do I really have something that could be a benefit? I'm definitely really sensitive to the white savior complex and wanted to um, make sure that I wasn't participating in that. And, and, and I had never been to India before. That's where I had started my work. But I just decided, you know, if I can fundraise enough money to go, then that's what I'll do. And so, like I said, I started fundraising and, and, um, and I went to India. My first trip was three months. And I, I stayed with um, this group of girls who had all been rescued from sex trafficking situations. And there were 82 of them. And they ranged anywhere from uh, four years old to uh, 30 years old. And um, the average age was about 10, 10 or 11. And I lived with them for three months and realized that, yes, I have these fancy skills and I can do acupuncture and I can prescribe herbal formulas and I can do a lot of things. And yet what was actually really needed was, was really what I needed as a kid. You know, what was needed was someone who was really consistent, who, who looked at the girls and who talked to them and wanted to know about them and what kinds of thoughts they were having and what kinds of foods they liked and to have them cook for me and me to, you know, be like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. You know, really basic things. And so I basically did that for three months. I, of course, also did a lot of acupuncture, you know. A huge part of my specialty has been working with trauma, working with women's health and trauma are my sort of main focuses in private practice. And so most of these girls uh, have significant amount of trauma and some of them also have um, HIV and AIDS and hepatitis and tuberculosis and you name it. So yeah, I spent three months there um, just diving into their world with them and um, learned a lot, learned a lot about what it means to truly be of service, that it's not just a thing that you go do, that um, I always say service is a state of mind, and there really is no time off. And um, that is what spurred the nonprofit. You know, I came home after three months and really felt like 
this has to be a part of my life. This service work has to be a part of my life. And um, I want to keep bridging. You know, when I came home, people were like, oh, what's going on in India? And, and I realized, you know, a lot of my sort of, uh, you know, wealthier kind of white clientele in Boulder, they were curious and they wanted to know and they wanted to donate. And then some of them wanted to actually come with me and experience it for themselves. And, you know, so there was an interest and there were, there were, um, people who cared. And to me, that, that bridging is so important. And so as the years unfolded now, you know, we work regularly, um, in India, in Nepal, and then also, um, at the Thai Burma, Thai Myanmar border. And now I take, you know, women with me from here, from the U.S. And also I've had women from Australia and from Israel as well come and join us and go on these trips together and, and really just be totally of service. I always say we take our bag of tools with us, but we really have no idea what's needed until we get there. And we get there, we spend time. I've spent, gosh, in the last five years, I've spent about 40 weeks in the field, you know, totally one-on-one in the field. And so um, that's a significant amount of time to get to know some of these communities and what their sort of needs, their deeper needs are, not the needs that we can flash on from a a one or two week mission trip kind of thing. So, so yeah. I'm 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 kind of speechless. I'm, I'm just taking you in. I'm, I'm taking in so many of the things you just named. I really appreciate you naming the white savior complex, especially in light of the George Floyd killing and everything that's ensued. And just the, the level of consciousness and awareness and humility that you've brought to Inner Ocean Empowerment Project and the listening. Like I can just feel the deep listening that you've done both to yourself and then also to these communities that you're coming into contact with. Thanks. Yeah, it's a huge part of it. Mm-hmm. I think it's also a big part for for people who do end up coming with me on these trips. You know, we think like, oh, I'm going to go over there and help those people, you know, and then we fundraise and then we go. And then um, it doesn't take long before uh, the women who come with me go, oh, like, I get it. This is actually an exchange. This is an initiation. This is, um, you know, we're going to go through something together here. And my whole worldview is going to crack in a good way. Yeah. and so, yeah. and are the women who go with you, are they fellow acupuncturists or medical, medically trained people, or it's any type of person who's interested? It's any type of person who's interested, honestly, because there's always something to do, you know? So um, when women apply, usually we, we interview and then we ask them, you know, how do you see yourself being of service? What are some of your sort of core ways that you can serve and, and what are ways that you would like to, do you want to learn anything? Like we had a woman who came with us last year who, um, she really wanted to learn about herbal medicine. And so, you know, we, uh, put her as the, the pharmacy attendant, you know, so Mm -hmm. she, we would give her these herbal prescriptions and she would start filling the prescriptions. And so she started to get to know the plant. She started to get to know the conditions that people were experiencing when we prescribed these formulas. And so it was really cool for her. And, um, 
she's in herb school now, which is really exciting, and putting all the pieces together. But honestly, I love to bring all kinds of women with me because I think many women are natural, naturally service-oriented. And sometimes it is a matter of figuring out where do I actually serve the best in a way that brings me energy and doesn't totally wipe me out in a way that I can really thrive. You know, and so sometimes the journey is about that, you know, finding that on the trip, like, oh, actually, I thought I was going to serve in this way, but I really loved serving in that way. And so, yeah. And are these, are these convert, like, are you processing with the groups that you bring over there to kind of be digesting the experience? It sounds like there's a lot of exchange that goes on that you're leading. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. We have, um, we, so I don't take more than eight women at a time. And part of that is because I really want time to get to know everyone and I want everyone to get to know everyone else. And so I keep the, the group pretty small so that we can actually do a lot of process work together. Um, Amazing. We, we connect every morning. Um, we connect throughout the day. We connect every evening. Um, we stay really close in touch, you know, with what, everyone is going through and what people bring with them on the journeys. Cause you know, we do have to sever somewhat, um, in order to be out and, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Friendships for life at the end of these trips, I have to say. I'm sure more than half of the women who have volunteered with me come every year. <laughs> so that's we incredible. Really only have like a few spots open every year. Wow. So, for now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. Mindy. You are, you're like a modern day Renaissance woman. You just, <laughs> I'm so impressed. And, and, and I'm holding the whole arc of your story, like how so many of your earliest injuries and traumas and wounds, how incredibly full circle they are in terms of how you serve and give and live now at this stage of your life. And, and I can just feel how much integration you've done, how much work you've done inside and out. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I mean, you're just an incredible role model and I'm really touched by getting to sit with you and to hear about, and I haven't, I mean, I feel like we're just scratching the surface on one level, but, but to hear about all of this work that you're doing. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for all of your listening and your questions and, um, I know you care so much about women and about service as well. And so, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot to learn. So you'll be hearing from me. <laughs> <laughs> me yeah, <too. laughs> yeah. And I think that mm -hmm. that is such a, you know, what I'm so inspired about is how you've, you've created both the private practice and, you know, we haven't gotten too much into your business and all that, but like, I'm imagining a sustainable financial base for yourself as an individual, mm -hmm. as a woman who needs to take care of herself and her family. And you're also finding ways to give where there are other exchanges that are not purely monetary or gathering resources from more privileged communities and supporting communities that are less privileged. And I just feel like I have a lot to learn in, in those departments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it is that kind of balance. And especially for me as a Sagittarius, <laughs> that, you know, being stationary and earning that, you know, uh, income and seeing, you know, a lot of the same clients, you know, weeks in a row, years in a, in a row. And 
um, following their journey and then mixing it up with this sort of, I have no idea what's going to happen when we step off that plane, but here we go. Um, that kind of energy is really, um, it's important for me personally and professionally, you know, the sort of giving back as well and um, stepping into that unknown is so, it's so good for me. It's also kind of comfortable for me. I know it's not comfortable for everyone, but yes, you know, with the life that I've had, I think it definitely set me up for um, being okay with a certain level of chaos. You know? <laughs> totally, yes. <laughs> and, and now I really appreciate, you know, the times where uh, the little blips where I realized, wow, things are really calm, you know. And calmness used to bring me a lot of anxiety, you know, when I didn't have a lot on my plate. But now it's like, no, this is good. I really appreciate it. Mm. So, Amazing. Yeah. I know that we're coming to the end of our time together, Mindy, and this has been such a rich conversation. And I want to make sure people know how to get connected with you and your work. So if you could just, it'll all be in the show notes, but if you could just let people know where to find you, that would be amazing. Sure. The best way to find me is on my website, which is mindykcounts.com. That's M-I-N-D-I-K-C-O-U-N-T-S.com. You can contact me there. There's lots of resources on my site. Great. And then what about if they're interested in finding more about Inner Ocean Empowerment Project? So the best way to contact us through the nonprofit is to go to the nonprofit's website. We have listed a few of our projects on there. Um, and there's a, a button that says, I want to volunteer and um, a short application. Um, and that website is innerocean-empowermentproject.org. Amazing. Okay. Thank you so much, Mindy. So my final question is, if I handed you a microphone and told you that every single woman in the world could receive your message, what would you want them to hear? I think there are a few things. <laughs> But above all, I would say, I want them to hear that they matter. I want them to know that they are important, that they came here with something to do, and that they belong here. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Mindy, for contributing your time and wisdom to us today. I'm so grateful. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Women Today podcast. If you liked this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and take a moment to leave a rating and a review. The more five-star ratings this podcast gets, the more easily women around the world will be able to access this valuable information. Remember, we each have our unique role to play in this collective uprising for women all over the world. Whoever you are and wherever you find yourself in this moment, there is a deep intelligence to your particular place in the wider web, and we need the specific experiences, insights, and gifts that only you carry. I am sending you my heartfelt strength and support for wherever you are on the journey, and I'll look forward to connecting again next week.